Hi everyone, thanks for tuning this episode of Nick Egan Times. On this episode we have an incredible guest, we have Matthew Riley. Matthew is an Australian author and now film director. Matthew has sold over 7.5 million copies of his novels worldwide and counting. Matthew is a co-writer and director of his superb debut film Interceptor, which is an action drama film starring Elsa Pataki and Luke Bracey, which was just released on June the 3rd on Netflix and was recently at number one on Netflix's top 10 list. Interceptor is now available to watch on Netflix right now. Welcome, Matthew, and congratulations on your debut film, and thanks for coming on the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me, Nick. Good to be here. Welcome. How's it all been going over there? Mate, it's great. I, uh, You know, the movie, uh, we, we only had a certain budget on the movie, and there was only a limited marketing budget, and it just jumped to number one worldwide in like 90 countries. Uh, on Netflix immediately, and, and it's just been mind blowing. It's been a wonderful month. That's amazing, mate. And tell me, how's the pandemic affected you personally and professionally? We we filmed Interceptor during the pandemic, but we filmed it in Sydney uh, at a time where Sydney was actually doing pretty well. So we filmed with masks and whatnot, but we actually we just got lucky. Uh, for myself, I got COVID uh, last week, oh, and uh, after I finally got it, and um, I'm vaccinated and boosted, and I had three days of misery, and and then you sort of pop out the other end of it. So, but you know, just being a good citizen, stayed at home, didn't go anywhere. Good boy. And how are you feeling now? I'm good. I'm good. It's uh, it, it was like a bad flu. Uh, major little husky, bit of a cough, but um. Uh, it's it's this new variant, which is literally on the news. Everybody's getting it, so might as well get it out of the way. Uh, and I'm, as far as I'm concerned, professionally, I filmed my movie, cut my movie, released my movie, and then when it was all finally sort of dying down, I got COVID. So as far as I'm concerned, uh, COVID waited until everything was done. <laughs> all right, let's... Talk to me in depth about the movie and what drove you um, to create it, wanting to be a director. Talk to me about the yeah. background behind it as well. Well, I've, I've written action thriller novels for 25 years, and my novels are known for their big scale. I blow up aircraft carriers, massive car chases. They're very expensive. So I've sold the movie rights, but never none of them have been made because they're very expensive. I'd wanted to direct, and so I wrote Interceptor, uh, to be this sort of high-stakes action thriller, you know, the bad guys fire 16 stolen Russian nuclear missiles at America and a heroine has to shoot them down with interceptor missiles. The key to it was setting it in largely one location. And then I could keep the budget down, but the stakes high. And so that's why Interceptor largely takes place at this Interceptor missile facility, which is a real thing, SBX-1. Uh, and I just found that incredibly interesting. Uh, doing the research on that. And I, th I thought it was a compelling, you know, tense, suspenseful story. But with a movie, you have budget. And so as a first-time director, no one's going to give you more than $15 million. You're lucky if you get more than 10. And that's how I managed to get my shot. I managed to write the script in a way that it could be made for an affordable amount of money. And then I just went for it. And when you don't have all that money, all you've got is your enthusiasm. And Interceptor, if nothing else, it is just driven by pace and enthusiasm. That's incredible. And your passion shines through even just the way you're describing it. So, yeah. 
Um, tell me about you're obviously well known for your book writing. Um, mm. how do you think that transcended into being a director? Like, do you think that had a massive effect as well? Like, being a director. Yes. Yes. The the director in a film is the storyteller, and in the novels, I'm the storyteller. And it's funny. When you think about movies, you think about the departments. There's a costume department. There's a set department. There's even, you know, an acting department. The director is in charge of the story department. The director puts it all together to tell a story. And that's exactly the same as novel writing. You are the guy or the girl telling the story. Uh, the funny thing is my, my brother used to laugh at me because he said writing novels is great because I work by myself and I don't have to work with anybody. Uh, he thought it was hilarious that I have to work in in close collaboration with so many people on the movie. And it turned out I loved it. I, I love working with fun, creative people. And they come up with ideas that you yourself would never come up with. There's a there's a notorious moment in Interceptor where the bad guy, he shoots some, he executes somebody and splatters this glass window with their blood. And then he finger paints a sad face in the blood. And it's, it's a gruesome, horrific, villainous thing to do. And it was my director of photography, Ross Emery, who came to my office and said, Matt, I've got this idea. It's really, really gruesome. Um, you know, maybe the villain should finger paint a face in the blood. And I said, that's the most horrific thing I've ever heard. We're going to do it. And that's the sort of stuff you get that you, you, you know you can't come up with it all yourself. So you embrace all these great creative people. And you end up getting lightning in a bottle. That's incredible. What was the vibe like on the set? What was and um, what was your actual mm. emotions like being being in the moment, being the director? Like how how did that? Yeah, how was that? You know, you are the leader on the set, and I think my enthusiasm. I bounded onto that set every day. I I was just so thrilled to be making this fast paced action movie, which is what I've been wanting to do for thirty years that I think my enthusiasm was infectious. People saw how enthusiastic I was and, and they realized that I wasn't there to mess around. I was there to make the fastest, most intense action movie I could within the budget I had. And I, I would play, uh, you know, this sort of boppy song on the way to the set every day. It was Johnny Come Home by the Fine Young Cannibals. And it was just this song that just sort of, got me going, got my momentum going. And once I got on that set, I was just a whirlwind because I didn't have a lot of time. I had to get this thing shot. Uh, when you've got a minimal budget, you don't get reshoots. You don't get a second chance. You've got to get it that day in that time. And so I think I, I had people say to me afterwards that it was one of the most enjoyable movie sets they'd been on. I'm not a yeller. I'm not a shouter. I'm a, uh, but people knew I, they knew I had a very clear idea in my head of what I wanted. And once they, once your crew sees that you know what you're doing, you know what you want, they feel like they're in good hands. Film, film crews like like animals, they can sense insecurity. Yeah, you've got to be the leader and take control. Yeah. All right, take us back to growing up and life. And I know well, when you were 19, you obviously got it self-published and, you know, you, you just had, like, this amazing run of, success after that how tell me about that and tell me how where you are now in life how much mm. that really had an influence and how much of a different person you are to back then well the the story of how i got discovered by self-publishing my first book contest is yeah it's very well known 
And I think the, the thing to take from it is that nothing's ever going to be given to you. You know, if you want to write novels, it's hard. It's hard to break through. And if you want to make films, it's even harder to break through. I mean, even just to get a gig directing, let alone have something released well, and then to go out to 100 million people as Intercept did. Uh, these are, they're massive high barriers to entry. And the simple thing is no one, no one's going to give it to you. You have to go and make it happen. And for me, uh, it's funny, my, my parents, I grew up in suburban Sydney in Australia. I live in Los Angeles now. Um, but I had my parents, you know, they would make me work for things. If I wanted a new toy, I would have to go and earn some pocket money to, to save up and get it. It was always about nothing was ever, I want that, give it to me. It was always I had to go and do the work. And, and that's the funny thing that I, I see now. I get friends ask me if I'll talk to their, their son or their daughter about writing books or going into the movie business. And my simple measure is, is this person willing to do the work? There is an enormous amount of work. There's a lot of rejection as well. The big successes are great, but there are 10 times as many rejections and you have to be able to deal with them and keep moving. 100%. And yeah, rejection is a part of the process and makes you stronger and builds character. So no, I yeah. definitely can understand and relate to that. Um, with the books too, you've, you've written obviously bestsellers and you've done a lot. Which is your personal favourite or has a sentimental value that you really, really, you just have that soft spot for, I guess? Ah, oh, yeah, no, no, there's, there's been over a dozen books. Um, Ice Station was the book that catapulted me around the world and it did it from a standing start. Nobody knew who Matthew Riley was when Ice Station came out. That book just fought, it, it broke through uh, for me. So it occupies a special place in my heart. Scarecrow was even faster. It was a book that was, it was what my contest association to my, my fifth book. And it was a quantum leap up in the pace. Uh, a book called The Tournament is a historical thriller I did, which I think is my smartest book and it's got the most depth. Uh, and I've got one coming out in August, uh, which is called, um, Cobalt Blue, uh, which is this, this giant stand up cardboard display beside me uh and i've created a superhero and i'm really pleased with it that it's got a lot to say in terms of humility power and how you wield power uh and it, it's a fun action-packed high-stakes story so those, those are the ones that occupy a special place and obviously seven ancient wonders and it's six sequels that's my indiana jones i mean i've got indiana jones here on my wall with Jack West Jr. and Seven Ancient Wonders and that whole series, which counted down to one, seven, six, five, four, three, two, to the one impossible labyrinth. That whole series, I'm incredibly proud of that. Yeah, that's exciting. I'm looking forward to the new book. What, where do you get your inspiration and imagination from? Like to create this book, like do you, where do you draw it from? Like what goes through your mind to create these, yeah. these bestsellers? You know, I'm a, I'm a big reader of nonfiction. I watch documentaries. I read the newspaper every day and I, I read various newspapers. I read the New York Times. I read the Wall Street Journal. I listen to NPR and I figure somewhere between all three of those, I'll get the actual news. And even reading about the Russian invasion of Ukraine, 
uh, informs my mind, gives me ideas, uh, makes me think about, you know, looking at the world, watching this poor country, Ukraine, get invaded by Russia and we do nothing. That's something that I file away in the back of my brain. So how do you get inspiration? How do you get ideas? You, you read widely. I read a lot of history books, for instance, on Henry VIII, Queen Elizabeth I, um, the Islamic Empire, chess, and all of that became part of the tournament. Um, so sometimes you read widely and a few years later, all of that stuff coalesces into a book. So the simple rule is when I'm writing a novel or a screenplay, it's coming out of my head onto the page. But before you do that, you've got to put something in there. You don't just sit on a beach and look at the sky and go, what am I going to write about? You have to input the information first, and then eventually it'll come out in a story. That's, that's great. Great insight. Thanks for sharing. What's, what's the best advice you've received? And what's actually even better, what's, what's the best advice you would give a young author like yourself, a 19 year old trying to make it? What would you, what, what advice Ooh. would you share with them? You know, the best advice I received when I was about 18 years old, wanted to get into the movie business, I met a movie producer and I'd got into law school, uh, university, and he said, go and get your law degree. The movie business is fickle. It's good to have something, you know, solid behind you in case it doesn't work. And I went and did law and I got my law degree and it structured my mind. And I say to young people, if you're 18 or 19 and you want to get into the movie business, Go and study something. Go and study at university. It doesn't have to be law. It can be a general arts degree. Go and reading, read great literature, study history. Just get stuff in your brain because you don't want to just be a filmmaker. You want to be somebody who knows other things. My best advice to uh, people who come to me for advice is you can only be who you are. I love action stories. When I was on the set for Interceptor, you're working hard. You've got to love it. Every single scene, I loved it because it was in some way this thrilling, suspenseful, high stakes drama. Do what you love because the audience can spot that. The audience, when you watched Interceptor, you could see that it was just this gleeful enthusiasm for suspense and thrills. If you like romance, write romance. If you like something which is more dramatic uh, and more intensely personal, write that because it will come out in the work. I, I met authors who weren't making any money writing their books, so they decided to write thrillers. And the thriller audience spotted them as fakes. Be who you are, be authentic, because the audience can see that. And Interceptor is a walking, talking example of that. Yeah, 100%. It's very genuine and authentic. Definitely yeah. shines through. Definitely, definitely shines through. Um, yeah. How would you describe yourself? How would I describe myself? I'm 48 years old, but I feel 26. Um, I think I'm optimistic. And, and I think to do what I do, you have to be optimistic. To put books out into the world, to put films out into the world, you have to think, I've got something to offer, and I think it will entertain people. And so I like to think that I'm a young at heart, optimistic person. Good answer. And what motivates you, David? What inspires you, David? Build a better mousetrap. <laughs> uh, 
you know, it's, I am always, I always believe there is a better story to tell. It can be more interesting. It can be faster. It can be more thrilling. There is always something to my mind that I want to write, whether it's a book or a new script. Uh, I've been working on a sequel to Interceptor uh, literally in the last week. And my sole goal is to analyze the best sequels I've ever seen. Terminator 2, Aliens, Lethal Weapon 2. What did they do that made them so awesome? And that's what I try to do. If I'm going to do a sequel to Interceptor, it's got to be the best sequel that I can do and that, that, that this sophisticated movie-going audience will expect. So, yeah, what drives me? Do it again, but do it better. And that's, that's for, for, for what, 18 books? My sole goal with every book was to make each one better than the one before it. That's, that's a simple rule. And you'll find that that's, it's a little bit of an addiction when you want to just keep bettering yourself. Yeah. I love it. Look at, look at my office. You know, here I am in my office, you know, surrounded by inspiration. Now there's the diehard tower. There's Jurassic Park, a T-Rex and the, the van. There's Millennium Falcon. There's the Milano from Guardians of the Galaxy. Indiana Jones on his horse here next to the Nazi truck. You know, these are the things that even up here behind me, these little pop figures, these were made by a fan of mine. They're the heroes from my books. That's Jack West. That's Scarecrow. That's the Coranodon and Stephen Swain from Contest. I mean, this when you create stories and you inspire somebody to to make little toys of them, you know, things are good. That's amazing, mate. That is absolutely amazing. What are your passions and hobbies aside from the films, the books? What do you like to do on your time off or any time to relax i'm a big golfer golf is my main hobby um i've got a handicap of 3.7 so I'm, I'm pretty good at golf and it's where i have a lot of friends and i'll be i'll be actually heading off to to play some golf over the next couple of days and my friends are not in the movie business they're not in the book business we just enjoy each other's company and play golf and the funny thing about golf is you turn your phone off you're, you're just there with your friends. You're in nature. It gets me outside. I could be indoors a lot uh, and get very, very pale. So it's good for me to get out in the sun, in the greenery. Um, I also, well, pre-COVID, I, I really like traveling. I, you know, where do the ideas come from? I, I do enjoy traveling. And I remember doing a trip to Malta and, and Santorini in the Mediterranean and you walk around Malta and go past these giant ramparts of these medieval castles and even older, um, and some of the oldest cave dwellings in the world. I love finding that stuff and traveling and visiting it. Um, and I've visited places like the pyramids, Easter Island, gone all around the world researching my books. So golf and traveling, they, they, they keep my mind activated and you know, the world's an interesting place. It definitely is, and that's great insight. Thanks for sharing. Tell me, if you were 18 again and you could change anything in your life, what would you change? Oh, geez, that's a really interesting question. Um, because the funny thing is, when, when I was 18, you know, yeah, things were, again, nothing was being given to me. I, I had to go and make it happen and had to go and get it. 
And I think one of the one of the temptations is to say, I, I wish it were easier. You know, I wish some of those things came more easily. But now that I'm older, I don't. I actually I'm grateful for that grit and resilience that I learned when I was 18. Um, you know, what would I change? I wouldn't mind it if somebody gave me $100 million to make an action movie back when I was 18. <laughs> but, yeah, that wasn't going to happen. What was it like dealing with Netflix for the first time? Like, um, obviously helping you with the budget and trading and distributing yeah. the movie. I found Netflix fabulous. Uh, they they left me alone to shoot the movie. Uh, and when it came to release the movie, the Netflix distribution pipeline is astonishingly good. I mean, to be able to press a button and have that movie available in 190 countries, boom, like that, that's astounding. And as someone who makes movies, you want people to see your movie. Uh, I think having a movie released in a cinema is a very, you know, it seems like a good thing, but it's very, very hard to get people to leave their homes, go to a cinema and see your movie, as opposed to seeing James Bond, Marvel, Star Wars, or maybe Pixar. Um, people at the moment, they go to movies to see franchises. And Netflix is a place which is making original movies. And they let a guy like me make Interceptor, which wouldn't have happened at, at Warner Brothers or Disney or, or any of the other um, major studios because they're, they're so invested in their franchises. So I found Netflix to be phenomenal. And I think it suits my storytelling. Um, I've learned a lot. The funny thing you learn, actually, books have a longer, slower life than movies. Movies burn fast and they burn bright. And after a month, there are other movies out. So your movie has a month window to live. And we found it with Interceptor, just it, it came out of the block so big that its first 10 days blew everybody away. And could not have hoped for anything more. So, um, in, yeah, my experience with Netflix was phenomenal. Well, thanks for sharing. If, if you let me, if you let me make the movie I want to make, you know, and pay pay for it, you're good by me. It's incredible. What What are your future goals and ambitions? So, are you going to do film and books together concurrently, or yeah. is it you want to move more into the film? You know, I obviously like to move more into the film having done exclusively books for 25 years. Uh, but I, I, there's a singular joy to a book. And so I'd like to write a book, make a movie, write a book, make a movie. The, the books are a nice downtime, but I'm what? I'm 48 now. It'd be lovely to make movies for the next 12 or 15 years to really go hard and make, make movies which really make an impact around the world and show people a good time. And the... One of the key things that I would say to, to young filmmakers is that first movie has to make an impact. That's, you, you, you have to throw everything into your first one. And, and with Interceptor, I, I made an impact. I made the fastest, most insane, uncompromising film I could, and that made an impact. So you just got to do that with your first film. You only get one chance to make a good first impression. And that's really important with movies. Definitely, mate. Uh, as I mentioned to you, I love Intercept. I think it's a wonderful movie, and you did it. You did it just so well. Um, Matthew, thanks for coming on the podcast. I do appreciate it. Um, your 
career is astounding. You know, your trajectory even going into the film space is amazing. And I look forward to watching your career closely. Mate, thank you very much for having me. You're welcome. Thanks, mate.